How's it going, everybody? Today, I have Kate and Michelle on the podcast. Kate uh, originally started her education in a in biology with a concentration on pharmaceuticals. She then pivoted to uh, get a master's degree in physique enhancement at the University of South Florida with Bill Campbell, if I remember correctly, right? Yep. Awesome. And then uh, you also studied functional medicine. And now you're doing clinical psychology with a focus on behavior and relationships. Yes. Cool. That's a, that's a lot of stuff. Uh, if you could uh, really talk to me about how you originally got into uh, the pharmaceuticals and then like what, what was the evolution of your education to how you got to where you are today? Yeah. So growing up, I was just really curious with biology and chemistry. I really liked it, was really good at it, piqued my interest. Um, why? I, I don't know, but I, I genuinely enjoyed that. And then as I grew up, I was an athlete always. And I noticed, especially when I was younger, there was a lot of supplement lines, but none of them for women. And so my curiosity with pharmaceuticals and kind of ingredients and compounding was to understand, you know, what is missing in the marketplace? Because my goal with that degree was to create something that would support women specifically. Um, and then after I went to college, played division one basketball, and I thought that was going to be my life. And then I tore my patellar tendon, which completely blew out my leg. And my curiosity with strength, conditioning, performance, hypertrophy really got into, okay, how do I grow this muscle back as fast as possible without creating compensation patterns? And so I dove into the research on that and wanted to understand how do I do this and do this correctly? So that's what piqued my curiosity was really just life circumstance in that. Then as I explored those avenues, um, I had someone that referred me to Dr. Bill Campbell's program and they were like, you're such a nerd dude, like you should explore this. And I was like, okay. So I actually went down to the University of South Florida and met Dr. Campbell in person and told him about myself, what my curiosities were, what I wanted to learn and understand. And at that point in my life, I was now pursuing bodybuilding. And so what he does in his lab was really investigate metabolic adaptation, performance, physique enhancement with higher level athletes. And so one of the things he was curious about was bodybuilding. And so as I went through my preps, I mean, all of my data from my time that I was there, we have years of my own kind of bio feedback and um, measurements that we did in his lab specifically. So it was cool to have that like knowledge and see what adaptations happened. Um, and, and that was really exciting for me. So that's how I got connected to him, achieved my master's there. He mentored me as well as Dr. Buckner, who is the, who runs the USF muscle lab. So we're looking at differences between strength and hypertrophy there and what drives those differentiating, differentiating adaptations. Um, so studying that and then Dr. Nick Martinez, his lab was under sports psychology. So I've always been fascinated by psychology, um, mostly as an athlete first. Uh, but then as I've kind of grown and had to go through my own inner shit. Um, it was kind of the catalyst to creating my business and why I've, I've modeled it the way that I have. Um, so all those things just kind of compounded. And then on the other side of competing, and it, I don't want to say it was like one bad prep or one shitty protocol. It was like, I competed back to back for so long and I probably stayed leaner than I needed to. No, I definitely stayed, stayed leaner than I needed to. And obviously there are consequences to that. And so when my internal health markers were just shit, I was like, okay, Western medicine wants to put me on medication. I don't believe in medication. I know enough about pharmaceuticals. I'm not doing that. So I had to seek out more knowledge on how do I address this holistically and how do I fix my internal systems to get back to optimal. And so that's where I pursued my functional medicine certification because I wanted to first help myself. I was like, how do I get out of this fucking shithole? Um, and so 
acquiring that knowledge and then being able to get back to regular cycle health, getting back to a healthy body composition, increasing my sex hormones, like being able to just come back to life really thyroid's now optimized. But again, if you've ever been on those pursuits, you know, how shitty you feel and the, the gravity of those adaptations. So being able to overcome that myself also empowered me to help other people do that. So I am 100% authentically a nerd. I love knowledge. I love education. I know a lot of people say it's bullshit. I think if it's oriented to the right skill and you know what, how you're going to deploy that, um, then it's always worth it. And so for me, now I do a lot of, yes, health and fitness, but personal development as well. And my goal really is to bridge the gap between psychology and physiology um, to help people reach their potential. So that's what I primarily focus on in my business now. Oh, it's really cool. It, it, it's really cool how you've taken each one of your passions. Um, and it's kind of like you're just you, you want like, a, and maybe this is, is not a correct characterization, but like you, you want some objective, like, this is what the data says. And then you just pursue it with your education. And, and now it's turned into, you know, my passions uh, can now help other people because of all that, that practical uh, knowledge that you've gained along the process. So that, that's a really, really cool um story and, and uh, it really speaks for itself just through you know all the avenues that you've gone and, and what you've uh, studied yourself yeah um, I always say that your story is your strength and your passion drives your purpose so if you can lean into those things like you will be in full alignment and then work isn't really work it's just yeah. how how fun is it to schedule a day around all the shit that you love to do right yeah. so I cannot complain at all that's awesome yeah I feel that 100% so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about um Kind of your your competition history and i imagine that that will and kind of what you you said it, it is where your um the functional medicine um interest was peaked and also some of the psychology uh i mean the psychology around uh competing and um you know you hear people talk a lot about like um body dysmorphia and things like that but really just it, it does kind of present its own challenges so you know how did you originally get into uh, competing and then and then what what kind of happened on that timeline along with your education? Yeah, so I will preface this with uh, when I played basketball and I was an athlete, I never worried about what I ate, when I ate, how much I ate. Never had body image issues. Didn't give a shit. I was just fucking. I go. I work my ass off. I eat what I want. I sleep and I do it all again the next day. And so. I'm grateful that like growing up and being in high school and like where a lot of young women struggle with their own confidence around what their body looks like and going through puberty and what the expectation is to look a certain way to be considered valuable or attractive. I never struggled with that. But uh, at the end of my basketball career, I hit rock bottom in my life. I didn't know who I was outside of being this high level athlete. Like that was my entire identity. And so when I lost that, I was like, okay, how do I find myself, right? And this is really the catalyst to my own pursuits of psychology because I wanted to understand myself. I wanted to know who I was, like outside of the things that I do and the people that I'm related to, like who is Kay? Who the fuck is this bitch? Like, I don't know, right? And that's kind of a scary place to be, but it was also very exciting because I'm like, okay, well, I can explore all of these avenues inside my mind. And so I knew one thing that lit me up and the preface to the basketball thing is as a kid, I grew up in a single parent home and I had two older brothers and sisters who were twins and we had a single mom and she worked a lot. And so after school, you either like went across the train tracks and you got into like partying and drugs or you got into sports. And so sports were an outlet for me to kind of channel my anger and isolation as a kid, just the frustration of not having a dad. Like my dad was never at games. Like I just didn't have that experience. And my mom 
Um, she worked a lot. She was always there when she could be, but again, like she had to manage the lives of three kids on her own and she was a young mom. She was 23. So, um, that's what really was the catalyst to sports. And I was able to create an outlet for myself that was positive and like channel that stuff into my life. And so when that ended, I knew if nothing else, I needed to put out that energy into something that was physical. And so I couldn't play basketball anymore. And I remember two days after surgery, I got on my crutches. I wasn't supposed to leave the house, but I got on my crutches and I crutched down to the rack center and I crutched myself into the weight room. And I was like, all right, I can't pick up a basketball and I can't play, but I can pick up a weight. And so I just started training and I started lifting and, you know, again, through studying, okay, now I'm out of a brace. How do I get my leg back? What do I do? And that's one of the most defeating things ever. Like if you can't straighten your leg because it's just been detached and you don't have the actual strength, it's, it feels like nothing. Like you feel like just non-existent. Um, and so as I went through that and I got stronger and I felt more empowered and I was excited, I fell in love with lifting and training. And as I was finishing my degree, um, one of my friends was like, you should do bodybuilding. And at the time, I didn't know that bikini was a division. I was like, are you high? Like, I do not want to look like that. Like, I don't even know how I would look like that. Like, I just have to work out. And they're like, no, 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 not like the physique girls, like the bikini girls. And I was like, who? And so I started looking into it and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just, you know, pursue this because in my head, and this is where some people will look up to people on social media and think that, oh, they just have so much discipline and motivation. And like, I'm just not like that. I'm not good enough. I'm inadequate somehow. And it's like, be careful of the traits that you admire most, because what people don't see is the downside of that type of trait. And so for me, I am very all or nothing and I am willing to suffer. Like I have some of my past that at that point in my life, I carried a lot of shame and anger and guilt. And it was an easy outlet for me to express self-hatred truly. And so when I went down that path and I got my meal plan and I had my two hours of cardio and my hour and a half of training, I was like, cool, I will distract myself from sitting with my demons and just go into this a hundred percent. And so with that, obviously at the time coaching was not what it is today. And so it was very, very low calorie. My fat a day was eight almonds, like eight actual almonds. Um, and just a ridiculous like tilapia asparagus, every meal kind of rinse and repeat kind of thing. And so I got, I was at the time when I started like 120 pounds, like again, never had an issue with food, never had body image issues. And I got down to 94 pounds. Um, so I lost a lot of weight. I got ridiculously lean. I mean, in Dr. Campbell's lab, I was actually measured by him um, at 6% body fat as a female. So I was ridiculously lean. Um, and so on the other side of that, obviously there are consequences to being that lean and getting that shredded. And so with the pursuit of bodybuilding, I think that one, it will teach you a lot of discipline. If you don't have any, if you feel as though you don't have any control or power in your life and you enjoy fitness, I think it's a nice bucket list item to do, right? If you need to kind of prove to yourself that you can exert that level of discipline and power over your own impulses, right? That's what a lot of people struggle to master in their day to day. I didn't have that problem, right? When I was playing divisional basketball, my life was dictated from 4am until 10pm every single day by somebody knowing where I needed to be, how I needed to be there, checking on you in class, making sure you're at all of your practices, strength, conditioning, individual privates, game film, like every single day is mapped out. And so I didn't have that problem. So for me, it was I can exert myself in this way instead of sitting with the shit that I don't want to sit with. Now I did enjoy it and I don't want to shit on the sport. It's actually, like I said, in the right context, in the right frame, 
um, it's, it's, it can be very empowering for a lot of people and it can make them feel like they've taken the power back over their lives, which I think is important. And a lot of people do struggle with that. Do I think that's a solution for everybody? Probably not. And so one thing you don't notice, especially as you go through the pursuit or you don't set expectations to like, you know, when you diet, you're going to be hungry, you're going to be tired. Performance is going to suffer. Like all of those natural kind of experiences happen. What people don't talk about is the psychological changes that happen. And so when you are very low calorie for a prolonged period of time and you start to restrict foods and you see progress, you can start to drive associations to things, right? Especially if the person that is coaching you is telling you these foods are good, these foods are bad, you should eat this, you should not eat that. If you overate, you have to now do an hour of cardio in excess. Like there's just a lot of negative behaviors that can be driven from that depending on the uh, perception that you have of the endeavor that you're going through and the beliefs that you tie to certain outcomes by trying to backtrack the equation of what drive that outcome, right? For example, if I eat chicken and broccoli every day and I lose weight, then chicken and broccoli are good. And the one time that I go out to eat and I might have a burger and fries and my weight spikes up three pounds, it's like, oh no, that's bad, right? And we start to drive these these identities to food and we start to eliminate or fear, even if you're not consciously aware of the fact that you believe that food is bad and will impact your weight so you don't eat it, right? That's a subconscious belief that most people aren't aware of as they go through the journey. Now, what happens as you get leaner and leaner, right? There are psychological adaptations that happen, such as your drive to eat, right? Specifically highly palatable foods. Um, obviously, we know that the brain runs on glucose. When you are depleted, your body, especially women, we are designed to carry more body fat. We need to have children, right? That is why we're here. Um, it's not really living for us. It's to continue to reproduce and like have kids and make sure that the world goes on. And so when we chase aesthetics in that way, we try to fight our own physiology or the purpose of our being. And so that's where you can get into a really difficult place where the drive to eat is high, and if you don't have the ability to regulate that and understand logically why you're experiencing what you're experiencing, it can also feel very scary because you're like, I don't understand what's going on with me. I'm not myself. I'm ridiculously snappy. I'm very irritable. I'm constantly thinking about food. I can't even focus on a conversation because I'm thinking about the fact that I just ate, but my next meal, I'm ready for it now. I'm going to bed hungry. And then you get into some of the anxiety or depressive episodes that people go through, right? And when you are depleted, and there is research that supports this, right? People tend to get significantly more anxious or depressive, right? In these things, because all of their hormonal functions are down-regulating. And so there's lots of shifts in their neurochemistry and biology, right? That can drive their behavior to completely shift, right? They, they are not who they were when they're healthy, happy, hormonally balanced, right? Everything is homeostatically uh, in place. And again, these are consequences of that pursuit, and then you tie that to the fixation. And so what you'll notice with people is that their feeds on Instagram or YouTube, they'll start to really start, you'll see their like explore page be all food and recipes or, you know, other competitors. And you can see the psychological shift of what they're focusing on, right? People become incredibly food focused when they're shredded. Absolutely. And for, for reason, right? It makes sense. Like we want to drive you to eat. So we're going to kind of dangle those nice, beautiful cookies and cakes and post-show foodies like in your face all the time. And even if people aren't aware of it, these are patterns. And we see this in populations like people that have binge eating disorder or anorexia, right? It's that they, they focus on the thing they tell themselves they can't have. And so you see this kind of manifest into and can manifest into disordered eating habits. Um, I think that everybody that goes through contest prep does engage in some disordered eating because that is the nature of the beast, right? It doesn't mean it's necessarily good or bad. It's just like, that's the name of the game. 
Um, but if you don't go into it with an understanding of the potential consequences of those pursuits and you don't have a game plan to come out of it and get you back into balance, you then can get lost in this competitive cycle, especially when everybody in the external world is validating you sacrificing your health in the pursuit of aesthetics because it looks sexy. And then men and women, right? This is where a lot of them struggle to remember what it is about themselves that is actually valuable, right? Why are you worth anything in this world? I promise you, you're not going to die and written on your tombstone. It's like, Kate and Michelle, we loved her for her striated glutes. Like no one ever is going to say that. And so it's like, while we don't necessarily like saying it out loud sounds ridiculous, we still focus so much on driving our own value from the way that we appear to the world. And so understanding why you're doing what you're doing and the purpose of that pursuit in the first place is incredibly important to ground you throughout that journey. Because if you're doing it to get back your ex-boyfriend or you're doing it to get social media validation from a bunch of people that don't know you, don't give a fuck about you and don't care if you die tomorrow, right? It's like, who, what is, what are you actually sacrificing? And are you actually gaining anything from doing that? And then you get lost in the weeds, comparing yourself to other people in that same world where you don't know what they're sacrificing and they don't know what you're sacrificing, but you're like, oh, it's not good enough because it doesn't look like that or I don't like her. And then you start to get develop a lot of insecurities around, well, I'm not worth it. Or then you see people in the off season use words like I'm fluffy or I'm soft, right? I've let myself go. And it's like, you, your perception of what healthy, like a healthy body looks like is forever skewed. Once you see yourself shredded, you can't unsee it. I tell people all the time, like, be careful with your curiosity, right? Cause it can lead you down a path to where once you know something, you can't unknow it, right? Once you see something, you can't unsee it. And so you have to weigh the cost of, do I really want to pursue that and fuck around and find out what's on the other side? And if I do indeed do that, are there potential consequences to me psychologically or internally that may prolong and, and persist for the rest of my life. And I know that you mentioned body dysmorphia earlier. Like that's something I've been very open about. Like I struggled with that for a very long time and I still have my moments, right? Cause I've seen myself to literally the most extreme levels of leanness that I could have lived at. Um, and now it's like, even though I know that I'm healthy and fit and all the things, it's still like that, that mind fuck of, is that too much? Is that not enough? Right. And then you can get in your own head trying to sort that out. So I hope that answered all of your questions, but um, that's that's a lot of the things that happen that I don't know are talked about a ton. And then, of course, on the other side of trying to go back to normal life, when people talk about overeating, I think that the term binge eating is thrown around way too much because we perceive an overeating event as a binge because we've been eating like birds for however long. And then you eat a normal meal and maybe you even have dessert and it's like, okay, most people overeat, especially on Thanksgiving or anniversaries or whatever it is that you want to splurge. But then you carry that inherent guilt, especially if in consequence, the scale goes up two or three pounds the next day. It's like, what did I do? And then through the pursuit, if you're taught compensation patterns, you then start to live in this cycle of compensation and restriction, overeating, compensation, restriction, and it can manifest into some really ugly shit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot that um, I could potentially like pivot to there. I think one thing that I I want to talk about a little bit is that um, I think that the kind of physique um, enhancement and bodybuilding they uh, people who tend to have these behaviors, like you mentioned, um, maybe having this kind of like I can't remember the terminology used exactly for for the reason why you did it, but like not like a punishment, but but something to kind of um, 
these people tend to kind of self-select these sports uh, oftentimes. Yeah. And then those yep. things tend to get get glorified, right? Like you were saying, yeah. like, I, I, I noticed this trait in this person. This person, uh, like the, something that I common see is like trains to failure all the time. Um, they, they talk about like training, like it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, torturing myself, like as it's a good thing and, and all of these things. And, um, I think that oftentimes you do kind of see these people tend to self-select a sport like bodybuilding, where there is a certain amount of restriction involved. There's a certain amount of, of pain and, and sacrifice that goes into it. Um, and I don't know if you've observed that at all yourself in your practice. Yeah. And I think. Well, it comes down to, so I had this conversation with someone previously and it's interesting and I, and I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg case, but we do see that whether it's bodybuilding that can create disordered eating or disorder humans with disordered eating gravitate towards bodybuilding in most people in bodybuilding, it, if you understand the underlying reason for disordered eating, it's control. I can control this one arena of my life when everything else is chaos. And so when you think about it from that lens, it's like, well, bodybuilding is something that you can control in your life with distraction from all of the other chaos because it's a 24-7 job. Pair that with your willingness to suffer. And I use the word willing because just because you're willing to doesn't mean you have to suffer. But most people that are in that sport are more than willing to suffer. And so like whenever I have a conversation with someone, I want to understand why. Like, why do you feel the need to do that? what's actually going on, right? And and being able to screen them for any type of just internal conflict that they don't want to face or experience and kind of navigate through, right? Because it's it's an easy kind of band-aid. It's a, it's a solution that's like, okay, cool. I can do this. I love fitness. I want to work out. I love working out. So why not just go pursue this extreme goal where I have full control over everything because every hour of my day is dictated by something related to food, walking, steps, sleep, hydration, nutrition, programming, cardio, all the things. It's like, that's a 24-7 job. And so it's like, well, if I can just focus all my time on doing that, then I don't have to address the other shit. And it's it's interesting that we see people, like you said, I'm, I'm in the gym, I'm training to failure. I'm doing all these things. Like, um, no one cares work harder, right? That's the thing is nobody gives a fuck work harder. Now I'm the first person to say like, everybody should find where their upper limit threshold is. Right. And then it's your job to push past that. Like you need to understand how to tolerate hard things because I think in our culture specifically, like a lot of it has gotten soft and it's like when things get hard, people quit, but it's like, okay, this is what hard feels like. This is what, you know, overcoming obstacles and climbing through adversity feels like, right? And that's a very empowering feeling when you don't quit on it. But it also has to be aligned with a positive outcome that's going to make your life better. And I think that we don't necessarily reverse engineer potential outcomes and ask ourselves, is that really one thing that's going to enhance my life overall? Or is this a path that I'm choosing to take because I lack control or self-discipline and I cannot face the other things that are going on that are catastrophic in my life in the background? And I think that once you can find the solution there, you can then make the right choice for what it is that you're willing to do, what it is that you want to do, and what it is that's going to benefit your future self. Are there any kind of red flags that you look out for? Like... um maybe an example would be like someone having extrinsic uh motivators to want to pursue this goal versus intrinsic um let's start there actually yeah i think well when i'm having a conversation with someone i always just ask them out of curiosity why why this 
Why is this important to you? Like what piqued your curiosity for this pursuit? And are you willing to let your personal relationships, your work, your flexibility, your social life, um, are you willing to let those things suffer? Because whenever we pick a goal, whenever you pick a path in life, I always tell my clients, it doesn't matter which path you choose, whether it's staying the same or changing some direction, right? There's pain and, pain and suffering that is inevitable with whatever pursuit you choose, right? That is a part of life. And so you have to pick the path in which the pain and suffering is worth that endeavor because the outcome is worth that. And so when you think about like why somebody wants to do something, then the intrinsic or extrinsic thing, right, has to be something that is meaningful regardless of. And so if you focus on what motivates someone internally, why they want to pursue something, then it's likely to be a much more meaningful pursuit regardless of whether anybody else notices that they did it or not. Whereas if somebody is focused on, well, I want to get back at my ex or I want to do this or for whatever reason that is externally motivated to them so that they can receive that feedback, that positive reinforcement and find value in themselves or get external validation because they feel as though internally they aren't worth anything, right? That's the root of it, right? Why do people post certain things on social media or act certain ways that are so outside of themselves if you've met them in real life? Well, it's because the persona of them gets them the validation that they want. And so they continue to shift their identity into presenting themselves as a thing that other people experience as valuable, even if it's really extreme. We see this in social media all the time. It's like, it's not the people that are level-headed that make an argument that is fundamentally sound and kind of uh, thinks about both sides and takes it into consideration to concisely present something that's honest, right? You see all of the crazy that's really pushed because it gets attention because it's like, that's absolutely ridiculous, right? But that's what gets the most views. That's what gets the most engagement. And so more and more people are shifting their behaviors, attitudes, and, and messaging to be more outlandish because that's what lands. But internally, when you do that and you mold yourself to the audience, right, you lose sight of who you actually are. And then there's this identity dysregulation because you're so misaligned. And I think that's one of the hardest things that even I've gone through is pursuing something because I felt as though I was inadequate on some level. And so when you hear the, you look great while wow, you're so disciplined, while wow, you're so motivated, you work so fucking hard. I could not possibly imagine what you do this. You, I look up to you. I admire you. And then you lose a sense of self. And so that's when in my life, I struggled really badly with anxiety. And again, some of that was from being incredibly lean and some of the dietary uh, approaches and protocols that I had implemented, but also because I was like, I don't know that this is authentically me. This is a fun pursuit and it's fun because I'm getting all of this feedback. And again, like I can run myself into the ground. I have that weird trait in my head. That's like, I'm just going to fucking suffer right now for a prolonged period of time. And we'll find out what's on the other side of it. But I think in hindsight, that led to more harm than good for me. But it also gave me a lot of valuable lessons in hindsight that I'm grateful for. And so it's just being able to zoom out and remember, like even in your worst moments of life, we are just a bunch of apes on a rock floating in the sky, you know, and it's, it's not that deep, but also making sure that when you lay your head down at night and you think about the people that care about you the most, right? They probably don't care about the personality in which you present on social media. And the more that you give yourself permission to be who you actually are and pursue the things that you actually enjoy and find meaningful, the, life gets significantly more enjoyable. And I think that when you hide behind a mask of what you think looks good, feels good, 
will be validated by and everybody else sees as as status. Um, you can start to conform your belief systems to tell you that in order for you to have, ha have a happy, successful and fulfilling life, then you have to tick all these boxes and achieve all these things. And oh, by the way, you need to do it by the time you're this age at this time and have all these things. Um, and I think that just on a broad spectrum, like societally speaking, most people chase difficult things, even if they're not valuable to them internally. And I think that that's where a lot of people's problems come from. And that's where you chase something and you think, oh, once I hit this, it's going to make me happy. Once I win a show, it's going to make me happy. Once I am IFBB pro, it's going to make me happy. Once I have, once I'm at this weight, I'll be happy. And it's like, no, your belief that if then, right, it's the fact that you are internally dysregulated on some level where you feel inadequate and you think that an external item is going to provide happiness internally. And that's never going to be the case. But I see this all the time with like high performing, very ambitious individuals. I work with a lot of executives, high level athletes and entrepreneurs, and they always chase the next milestone only to find that it's not fulfilling and they're not happier and it didn't make a difference in their life truly. And so that's where you have to go. Okay, well, do you know who you are and do you know what you find meaningful? And at the end of the day, are any of these pursuits actually filling that void that's inside of you? And those are some of the hardest conversations I have with people um, because genuinely there's a lot of thoughts and awareness around it. But when you ask them to sort it out and say it out loud, like you realize what gaps that that person has that they're chasing more money, more businesses, more status, more things thinking that it will fix the root cause of that issue when it has nothing to do with what the world can give them, but what they can give to the world. Wow. Yeah, that was, uh, that was really, really uh, insightful. When someone um, maybe like, like how would I go about uh, and not me, but uh, anybody really go about addressing these things? Like these seem to be like sometimes deeply rooted issues that yeah that lead us to pursue something like this. Um, and, you know, it, it, sometimes it's difficult for me um, to maybe put myself in some, some people's shoes just because I am very, um, I tend to reflect a lot and try to think about like why, what's driving this behavior. But like, if you're maybe not as experienced with doing that, like how, how do you do that? Right. Is it, is it simply just reverse engineering of like, okay, well, I want to compete. And then you kind of just, you kind of figure out, okay, well, why do I want to compete? And then you kind of find like maybe the root cause of that. And then like, how do you go about that process? I guess for someone who maybe isn't doing that on a daily basis already. So the first thing that I want to give you an example of is when you ask somebody a question like that, they're going to give you an answer that's not true. And I'll give you an example, right? There are two primary reasons people do anything, right? There's a logical reason. And then there's a the real reason. And so if I ask you why you brush your teeth, you're going to tell me that it's for your dental health and hygiene. It's healthy for you. I want to keep my teeth clean. Logical reason for sure. But if you have a date later tonight, I can almost guarantee that you're going to brush your teeth before you go out. And you'd already brushed your teeth today and you're not going to bed. Right. And so we do it for the reason of, I want to have good hygiene. I want to smell good. I want to be attractive. Right. I want to be seen as something. That's the real reason. Even if we're not aware of that thing right? You, you pair that into bodybuilding. Somebody goes out to eat and somebody offers them a piece of cake and they're like, no, 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 I, I don't want that. I'm, I'm trying to, to manage this. I'm not, I don't like that food. And you'll hear that. All. I don't like that. Yes. You, everybody fucking likes cake. Okay. So that's what you're saying. The, the 
the excuse that you can give is that you're trying to diet or be healthier, right? But the real reason is probably that you fear that if you have a bite of that, you can't control yourself, or if you eat it, it's going to make you fat, right? That's the real reason. And so when I have conversations with people about why they want to pursue something, I'm going to tell you that your first answer is not the truth. And so when you start to investigate your own psyche, right, you can talk yourself into anything, right? The mind has a mind of its own. I say this all the time. We can literally, especially if you're smart enough, you can convince yourself of anything, even if it doesn't make sense, because you can find a way to connect the dots, even if they weren't able to be like, if, if most people wouldn't connect them previously. And so you can talk yourself into finding a reason to pursue almost anything. The real thing, the real question is, for example, I want to compete. Okay. Why? Well, I want to compete because I want to, I want to lose weight and I want to look good and, you know, make me more confident. Okay, great. Why do you feel as though that you need to lose weight and look and achieve that type of aesthetic in order for you to be confident? Why aren't you confident? Where did that come from? Who rejected you in your past? Who made you feel inadequate? What is the story in the experience that has cultivated this being the solution to that internal problem? Right. And then we're going to get to some deep shit because again, the first reactive response of anything, again, it's the logical reason. It's like, oh, I need to go do this because this makes sense. Right. And you're not really going to challenge that because it's like, oh, that, that does make sense. It's a logical reason to do something. But Underneath that, if you can get even more curious, and what I tell people all the time is that when you're trying to do introspective work, you have to lead with curiosity and not judgment because it's so easy to label ourselves and diagnose ourselves and you know put ourselves into a bucket of worthlessness or whatever that might be. But if you lead with curiosity outside of judgment, if you ask skilled questions, you get skilled answers. And so if you want to really find out what's going on and why you think the way that you do or why you act the way that you do. And a lot of our actions are driven by subconscious thoughts and behaviors and narratives that carry over into our daily actions that then cultivate habits. And so you have to be able to remove the judgment and almost think of your thoughts like you're looking at yourself from a lens that is outside of you and you're just observing the way that you are and why you believe what you believe, and why you think the way that you do, and and paying attention to when you feel awful, why? What triggered that? What's coming up for me, right? And the more that you can get curious, right, the deeper that you can go with that. But the moment that you judge yourself and say, well, I'm just a failure. I'm just fucking lazy. I'm just, I don't have the willpower. I'm, you know, not good enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm like, I'm just not. I'm just not. It's like, okay, but why? what's coming up there. And the moment that you just get frustrated or judgmental, that's when you shut off. That's when the investigation stops. And most people can't remain calm and lead with enough curiosity, almost like they're just talking to somebody else to get to the actual root of the problem or the thing that is causing them to desire a certain outcome, thinking it will make their lives better. Uh, That made me think of, um, I can't remember who said this, but Imagine, almost imagine as if it was you talking to a friend, yeah. like, would you, you know, you, you, you identify something that maybe you're not happy with or you dislike, like, would you call your friend a fucking loser? Like, no, you probably wouldn't, right? You would be uh, empathetic or sympathetic towards their situation. You would, you would be compassionate, right? You would, you would, uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't try to belittle them, right? I don't know if that has any use in that situation, but. Well, yeah, because if you think about it, like we are all our own harshest critic, every single one of us, right? If if I were to watch your work ethic for a day, I'd probably be inspired. 
if you were to observe your work ethic in a day, you'd probably be disappointed. And it's one of those things where like good is never good enough in our own head. It could have been better. I should have done more. I could have gone further. Why am I so fucking lazy? Why am I stupid? Why couldn't I get that right? Right? There's something wrong with me. It's like, no, if that was your child and they performed that way, would you ever speak to them that way? If that was your best friend who was going through the same thing. Would you speak to them that way? Would you say those things? Right? Your head, your head space, that's where you live. So you might as well make it a good place to be. But you can't do that if you constantly degrade yourself and your thoughts because you are always comparing yourself to an idealized expectation of outcome that no human being will ever exert on their first try. But we compare where we are starting to A, our competency, our competency level across the board in a different arena and expecting our performance to carry over into something we've never done. And so when you fall short of your performance as you equate it across the spectrum into a different thing, if you don't excel, like you've excelled over here, then you feel as though you're somehow incompetent or broken, right? And the same principle applies when you pursue any new endeavor is that you have to be willing to look stupid. You have to be willing to fail. You have to be willing to go, okay, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to fuck around and find out. And then I'm going to collect the feedback. And instead of judging myself based on the feedback, I'm going to look at what I missed and where my deficits were. And then I'm going to focus on enhancing those skills so that I can get better at this thing. Right. And that's what life is about. It's finding out all that it is that you could be because you deserve to, but they have to be things that you find meaningful because inevitably you're going to suffer and there's going to be pain and you're probably going to suck for a little while. But that's everyone in any arena. And so comparing your starting point to somebody else's endpoint or your starting point in something to someone else's success, you have no idea how long they've been pursuing this thing and how many reps they put into it from the get go. But you just feel as though because you're not where they are and you see them blowing up and it feels like they're new that you should be there too, right? And that's just a complete gap between reality and expectation driven by social media or the little highlight reels that we see where we can play this comparison game. Right. And and you also have no idea what goes on behind the scenes when you're comparing yourself yeah. to those people. No idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. So why is this process so difficult? I mean, is it part in part due to the judgment that we put on ourselves? Are there other things that contribute to that? Like if we're really just trying to look deeply and I mean, I found it very difficult in my own in my own life and I still, you know, fall victim to it. I will say one word that people probably say a lot, but it is true and it is ego. Because in order for you to acknowledge the dark parts of yourself, where you fall short, where you make poor decisions, instead of most people being able to be like, you know what, everything that has happened to me in my life, and I am here because it is my fault, my actions, my behavior, my choices have gotten me here, right? And when people have to do that, right, because that's a part of being self-aware and really getting to it is if you don't like where you are, well, it's your fault. Everything that you've done to this point has gotten you here. Whereas it's very easy for most people to go, oh, well, I tried, but this person prevented me from doing that. And that person treated me that way. And this happened outside that I couldn't control. It's like, okay, but nobody chose to react the way that you did. Nobody forced you to do that thing. And so it takes a level of extreme ownership. But with doing that, the moment that you criticize yourself for doing something that you can't change is the moment that you get lost in the weeds. It's like, for example, I've shared this before on the podcast, but my last long-term relationship was almost a decade ago and it was incredibly abusive. One of the hardest things I've ever been through. And I carried so much guilt and shame for that because I had been raised better. My mom had been in, a, in, a, in an abusive relationship. So she knew and she taught me better. She was like, you know, never 
hesitate to walk away from someone or something that doesn't that doesn't serve you anymore. And so while I took a lot of ownership in that, it became quite detrimental to me, which is where my actions then became self-loathing and I put myself into a hole as far as my health was concerned, my physical and mental health, because of the choices of my reaction to that experience in my life. And so I chose to go down a path that inevitably would make my quality of life significantly lower because I didn't want to handle the element of forgiveness for myself. And that's the part that people miss is that if your past self knew everything that you knew today, do you think you would make the same choice? Probably not. Right. But you didn't know. And so at that point in your life, especially for people that have a lot of guilt with previous choices that they've made or ways that they've acted, it's like, I guarantee that if I could get inside your head, you're probably doing the best that you could based on your understanding of the world and yourself at that point. And so when you can get to that point of observation, acknowledging and taking ownership of it while also giving yourself grace and showing forgiveness because you couldn't have done better without knowing better and you did not know then what you know now, because I can guarantee you wouldn't make the same choice, right? That's where you can get a lot of feedback. And that's where you can do a lot of reflective work and take the lessons from those things and then carry it forward. So you do not continue to repeat the same behaviors and cycles, because if you ignore them and you lead with ego, you say, it wasn't my fault. And this person did this and that person's fault. And it's just politics and it's whatever. It's like, you never hold yourself accountable to shifting your behavior. And if you don't shift your behavior, you're not going to change the outcome of what it is that you you seek to succeed in because you can't own the fact that even though there were elements and variables that you couldn't control, you can always control your next action. You can always control the next step. But if you can't acknowledge that, then you're never going to be able to push past the things that are holding you back, which inevitably are barriers that you've built up yourself. I say this to people all the time, but the walls that we build up to protect ourselves are the, also the same walls that prevent us from getting the things that we want most. And so while it feels like I'm protecting myself by doing this, it's also creating a barrier between who you are and where you want to go. And so you have to be able to break that wall down and stop blaming everybody else and say, okay, I've learned my lessons and now I'm going to move forward. Knowing that inevitably in pursuing the next thing or the same thing, I will make a mistake because that is a part of being a human right? We're not designed to be perfect, but we are equipped with the right uh, technology, if you will, in the brain to be able to collect feedback and lessons and wisdom as you go. And that's what guides you forward. But you can't do that if you can't actually investigate what the fuck is going on in your own head. Right. It's, um, it's empowering to accept what you could have potentially changed in that situation. Right. And yeah. that, that was a, a, that story was a good analogy because I can imagine that it is very difficult to look back at something like that and be like, I could have done something differently. But if you're approaching that with forgiveness towards your past self because of the um, gaps in, you know, like, like you said, like knowing what I know now, would I have changed something? Like, yes, the answer is probably yes. So I need to forgive my past self for not knowing and try to, you know, rectify this and hold myself accountable in the future, I guess. That makes sense. Yeah, because the goal is never to make a mistake. I mean, that's that's not real. You can't not make a mistake, but the goal right. should be never to make the same mistake twice. Mm -hmm. And if you can lead with that, then it's like, okay, I'm willing to suck and suffer and make a mistake and fuck this up. And I'm also willing to collect the feedback and take note of the actions that I took that maybe were subpar. 
so that I can aim to improve this system, knowing that as I progress with it, I'll probably make another mistake. But that is evolution. It's having the courage to take a chance on something that is meaningful to you, knowing that the first time, first 50 times that you try, it's probably not going to be that good. But over enough time, and if you're willing to take the feedback and also acknowledge where you fucked it up, you can get better and better at that thing. So long as you don't quit or degrade yourself or get so frustrated and then associate your identity with your performance, right? Those two things can't be convoluted. Otherwise, you're going to throw yourself out before you even get started. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really uh, one that you kind of touched on earlier is like I, the associating identity with your performance or even identifying as uh, Kate, the basketball player, Kate, the bodybuilder, right? Uh, I always try to tell people this is like, I'm, I'm Dylan first, I'm a bodybuilder second, like I am who I am. And like, like, like you mentioned earlier, like, are people gonna be at my funeral? Like, oh, he was so, you know, shredded, like on stage, like, it, people don't care about that. They care about who you are as a person, they care about your, your values, your character traits, your morals, things like that. Like, those are what make you. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, maybe separating yourself from the things that you do and, and, and where maybe there are some downfalls and identifying with this thing that you do. Yeah. So I think, especially as, as kids, right, we're socialized and we're taught like, oh, if I want to be cool, I got to kind of fit in here and do these things that people do. And again, like as we get more ingrained in society, then we try to conform ourselves to be adequate enough in certain things. And I think for a lot of people, especially like if you've excelled in any arena and you constantly receive feedback for doing that, then you start to dictate your own value based on your performance, right? I see this a lot in people that own businesses. It's like, oh, I'm great because my business is great. And when your business shits the bed, it's like, fuck, I suck, right? And it's like, you can do that. You can you can start to drive your identity into the things that you do. Whereas when I could zoom out, and ask myself like, okay, well, what do I actually like? I remember playing basketball. Um, I went to the University of North Carolina at Greensboro and I was a science nerd, but how uncool was it to be a nerd and an athlete at the same time? Like, I don't want to go out. I want to read biology. Right. And so like, I had to start pushing that part of me away because it wasn't cool. Right. But I actually love learning. I love reading. I am obsessed with psychology. I read books all the time. I like to journal. Like I like to write. I just, I like those things, but I didn't know that I liked them because I didn't give myself permission to pursue them because it wasn't seen as cool or valuable. And I wouldn't fit in being like, Oh, I'm not going to go out and party with you guys. I actually just want to read and study. Like that wasn't cool. And so I think one of it is like leaning into your intuition and and if you have curiosity about something, like lean into that. And it, when you start to look at the parts of you that are fun and you collect the feedback from people that know you the most, like I love comedy. <laughs> I I think it's great. I do some stand up just for fun sometimes. And it's like, I am funny. I am outgoing. I am passionate. I speak with a lot of conviction. I I just enjoy me being me outside of the things that I do. I do them because I enjoy doing them and they allow me to pique my curiosity and kind of project certain elements of my own psyche in order to help other people that might've struggled the way that I did. But at the same time, I do not associate my own self-worth based on a performance or something that I give another person because it is not up to me to decide what other people think of me, right? It's most important what I think of myself when I lay my head down at the end of the day. 
And so one of the first things I did was investigate the things that I enjoyed and then have the curiosity to lean into things that maybe I hadn't really spent enough time in doing. And then I reflected on, okay, what do I find meaningful and what values do I represent within myself and in my life? And so I think that most people should have some type of core value system where it's like, regardless of how you feel on any given day, you lead with these things, right? And so that's really what the foundation of my business was on, was on my internal core values, leadership, integrity, fortitude, and excellence, and it stands for life. And so like that for me is a way for me to embody the things that I find the most meaningful, knowing that I will be challenged with certain things that that I can't control, but I can control how I operate in response to that. And so when it comes to being an athlete or pursuing certain endeavors or being a business owner or whatever it is, it's like the more that you drive the nose that you'll get in your business, like if you do sales or anything like that, like how many door-to-door people get doors slammed in their face every day? Like at some point they have to know like them slamming the door in my face doesn't say anything about my own worth. It's just a part of the job that I do, right? And I can go home to my family, my kids and my wife who love me more than anything that actually know me versus the things that I put out into the world. And so it's when you can understand that there is a, a, a difference, a gap between what's on the internet and who somebody actually is. And it's more important for you to understand who you are and pursue the things that you're most passionate about because that will impact the world more than you trying to pretend to be somebody else or put out an image. Because what you're doing is presenting, preventing the world from experiencing the one thing that you have to give them that is a gift, which is you genuinely showing up and being yourself. But the more that you try to conform to something else, the more that you lose the potential to give them that opportunity. And so that for me was like, I just need to give myself permission and accept that I won't be for everybody. And that's okay. I really like that that framing of like not being your genuine self. You're you're um, taking your opportunity for other people to see that. That's a really really cool way to frame that. I've never heard that before. Um, one more thing before I get you out of here. So uh, you had talked a little bit about in the experience of dieting and the disordered eating, associating certain foods certain things with good and bad, right? This isn't in my meal plan. So it's a bad food. Uh, or you mentioned earlier, like, um, you know, I don't, I don't want cake. I don't like cake. It's like, no. And I used to say that I remember I used to say the same thing. And I think I also was partially like, what's more socially acceptable for me to say, but I don't even know if me saying I didn't like cake was more socially acceptable than me saying I was just on a diet, you know, for a bodybuilding competition. But really what it comes down to is, uh, uh, flexible and rigid restraint, right? And mm-hmm. and um, having this dichotomous black or white, good or bad, uh, you know, around food and, and other things, especially if you're pursuing competitive goals, how might one go about navigating that and maybe um, preventing or eliminating some of this uh, dichotomous thinking? So the first thing that I want to say is that the moment that you can understand that everything in the human experience operates on a spectrum and not a dichotomy, you experience real freedom. Because no food, if we're going to talk about food, no food has a fucking agenda. You do. You have an agenda with that food. So if indeed you believe that the cake is bad, the cake is not bad, but your ability to control yourself around such a delicious entity because you've hyper-focused on it and you've told yourself, I can't have it because it's bad, right? That is what's causing the behavior that's carried over to your impulse control around a certain food, right? And so it doesn't matter what endeavor it is, but it's 
it's understanding that I always have the power over what I want to have and no one thing is good or bad. My ability to control myself around a certain thing dictates my beliefs in relationship with these items. So when people talk about like trigger foods or cakes and cookies are bad, it's like, I'm never going to be an advocate that you should eat a bunch of processed shit. Like I would be lying to you. You should not. However, there are events in life and life is meant to be experienced. Like why the fuck else are we here? It's not an infinite game. It is a very finite period of time. And so then when you go into an endeavor and I tell people this all the time, whether it's an anniversary, holiday, Christmas, what is the intention of that experience? And in our society, there's always alcohol, there's always food, like that's how people socialize. But the goal and the intention of this thing is to be social, is to experience people, to be present with them, to create memories with them. And so when you can focus on the actual reason of this gathering or this thing that you're doing, right, the more that you can go, okay, well, it's not about the food. And if I want to enjoy a piece of cake, I can have a piece of cake, but that's not why I'm going. That's not, that is not the purpose of this experience, right? Because most people... Some people do this, but again, this is where it's become more disordered than anything is like most people tend to overdo it um, when they have an event because they give themselves an excuse to YOLO it, right? It's like, okay, it's Thanksgiving. I'm just going to eat like a fucking asshole and then I'll get back on track tomorrow. But it's like, what if you didn't have to get back on track? What if it was just like, oh, today's a holiday and my intentions are go be with my family, enjoy the pie that my grandma made, have some turkey, probably eat a little bit more than normal and enjoy that and then get, you know, go right back to normalcy right? That's okay. But it's where it's like, oh, I only have one day today and I've already eaten. So I got to eat it all because I got to be back on track tomorrow. Make sure I zero out my macros. It's like, what the fuck is any of that stuff matter? Like, I think that we get very fixated on numbers to tell us about ourselves versus understanding like, oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I'm full. Oh, I'm tired. Like we rely on stimulants and data and numbers and apps and food scales, which all have standards and percentages of error where it's like, the goal is to, especially in that type of pursuit, right? You have to implement some level of restraint. You have to, right? In order to get that lean, you have to restrict. That is a part of the game, right? And so as soon as you go to enter that arena, you also have to know that these are things that you have to be willing to sacrifice, but not because a food is bad and not because an event is bad and not because your grandma's self-sabotaging you and not because your friends don't want to see you win and not because your boyfriend is trying to you know, get you to eat what he's eating and, and put it on you. It's like, no, you chose this and these people around you still have the right to live their life the way that they want to, but you can still go and be social and have these experiences because it's about the experience, not the food. You've just given the food power when you have all the power and you cannot take accountability over that power. So you blame everybody and everything and any item that you cannot exert self-control over. And so it's not about anything in life being good or bad. It's this is the decision. This is the path that you're walking. And this is what is required of you to be successful in that. Now, if you live off of a meal plan and you've labeled foods as good and bad, then I would say you don't need to be dieting because you need to fix this issue because that's never going to sustain you. Most people that are in bodybuilding are mostly younger population, right? So they have, they have their whole lives ahead of them. Inevitably, they'll get married. They'll have kids. They'll go on anniversaries. They'll have vacations. They'll have parties. That's life. Like, And are you willing to sacrifice the experiences that you get to have in life because you are fearful of a food, because you've driven this belief, because you've decided that your value comes from your aesthetics, and that is more meaningful than you being present with your kids on their birthday and eating some fucking cake and celebrating and singing, you know, happy birthday to them and having the Easter bunny or whatever it might be. It's like, is really achieving a certain weight or aesthetic more important than being able to look back on that experience and be like, I'll never forget when you were seven years old. I'll never forget your seventh birthday party. 
but you can't do that and focus on being present if you are so restricted and deprived that all you're thinking about is the food on the back table over there while someone's talking to you, but you can't even actively listen or respond because you're focused on getting over there as quickly as you can, right? That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. The, like you mentioned with the, um, the meal plan, uh, something that I had made a post on, uh, a while back and I got a lot of uh, pushback from it and I just made the argument that in the short term, maybe a meal plan can lead you to where you want to go. But in the long term, like what happens when you're at that birthday party, what happens when you're out to eat at a restaurant and they don't have your meal plan, you know, foods on your meal plan. Right. Uh, I think that it presents an opportunity for someone to, or hopefully that someone would get the opportunity to at some point or, 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 or learn how to navigate those situations. And it's, it, it's funny. It's also funny because like, uh, those aren't challenges for normal people. I mean, like you, when you go to a restaurant, you just order something off the menu. And it, it's funny how we kind of like just make it more difficult by going down this path. And we're like, okay, I don't know how to eat at a restaurant. I don't know how to be normal at my kid's birthday. Like I have to, you know, there's some sort of like expectation. There's some sort of like labeling of the food that allows you to not eat it. And I, I really like that you mentioned, it's like you not having a, uh, like all or nothing approach to a birthday party and also focusing on the things that are actually important, like being there with your family, maybe having a piece of cake and really assessing the trade-offs too. And really like having that conversation with yourself. I think if you don't even have a conversation with yourself going into it, like, you know, Hey, I'm going to try to be here present with my family. Like say, if you're like really, really lean, really dieted down, I'm going to try to be best present with my family. Um, here's where I'm at with my goals. You know, maybe I will, do my best to just, you know, eat like you can have, I, I've done this many times. I'll have Thanksgiving dinner and I'll, you know, eat in accordance with my goals and maybe have a piece of pie after and then I'm good. As opposed to not going with any plan or any idea of how to approach the situation. And then you just kind of, you're like, you eat a piece of cake and then you eat another and then the fuck it effect happens and you just eat everything there. Uh, and you're, you know, hyper fixated on the food. You're not, um, as present with your family, things like that. Um, yeah, that's kind of all of the thoughts I had on that. Yeah, and it's, again, like, I think one of the biggest shifts in actually, uh, I think it's BD Carpenter on Instagram. He made a post the other day and I shared it and he was talking about how bodybuilding athletes are not good coaches because they cannot relate to someone who's living a lifestyle and just wants to live a healthier lifestyle because it is so black and white because of the nature of the sport. Again, I'm not shitting on it, but the nature of the beast is you have to be a hundred percent disciplined, executing, ticking the boxes. This is what needs to happen, right? It's very black and white. It's, it's simplistic in some manner, right? Whereas working with someone who has kids and a job and, you know, is stressed and has other things, spousal issues or whatever. It's like, how do you manage that person? Right. How, how do you coach them effectively when they're traveling and they have work dinners and things like that? You can't tell them, oh, you can't eat out. Like yeah. that is a part of their life. And so you have to teach them how to eat, right? You don't just give them a meal plan that will work for a little while. But as soon as they go back into the nature of their life, they have no idea how to transition because they didn't learn anything. Right. It's like give a man a, a fish and he'll eat for a day, teach a man to fish, he'll eat for life. And so, like, that is the foundation of, of what most people need is they need to learn how to fish so that they can then carry that forward into amplifying the quality of their life for the rest of their life, not just for an acute period of time. Right. Right. Yeah. Telling someone to suck it up or everybody has the same, you know, 24 hours in a day 
I, I don't think is an effective strategy to combat that. But unfortunately, it's something I see a lot on how people deal. Well, with and that's where like people, but I hate that message because people feel defeated. It's like, okay, well, you're 25 and you don't have anything else to do, but go work out all day long and then take videos of yourself and then meal prep all day and then make some more content and then post selfies and, and do that whole thing all over again every day. It's like, cool, but talk to the 40 year old mom who's got three kids who just went through a divorce, who's transitioning jobs, who just got, who's, you know, boyfriend just got laid up, whatever it might be. And whose kids are getting bullied at school. Please tell me that she can do the same thing even with the same 24 hours. That's absolutely impossible. And it makes them feel inadequate or like they're broken or that there's something wrong with them when it's like, no, your entire life is just different and you have different priorities. But that doesn't mean you can't still achieve the same thing. We just have to build a different system. Right, right. Yeah, I think uh, as when I first got into coaching and being, like you said, like a bodybuilder and, and seeing things one way and, and you know, being very used to meal plans, like I used to not have as much understanding for like why someone you know, like why, like why would someone be struggling with their weight? I didn't have as much like empathy for the situation or, or sympathy for the situation. Like I was just like, it doesn't make any sense to me. But then you realize like everything isn't about bodybuilding. It's not like that for other people. Like they have, like it, it's okay. It, it, if, if someone is prioritizing like their children and their job and their weight, you know, um, gets sidetracked as a result of that, uh, it's, it's not like, that's just kind of the nature of the priorities of their life. Like that's what they had to do for a period. And, 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 you know, that's, that's not how you approach that situation. You don't tell them like, you don't give them a meal plan. Like I've done that before. I've made that mistake. And it's like, you know, they can't, there's so many other things that they have to manage. And then, you know, as soon as they can't follow, follow that meal plan anymore, they're off the rails. Right. Um, so it, it took, a lot of learning on my part and trying to understand where other people come from and, and realize like what their life is actually like. It's not like, like you said, like <laughs> you straight up just like called me out on like what my daily life is. Right. So it's like to be able to try to understand what someone else might be going through and, and, and have some compassion for that is, is I guess something that more people should do. Yeah. One thing I, I really prioritize because like even in my life and, and one thing you said is like while they're prioritizing their family and their work, like their, their fitness might've fallen off. And you know, one thing I had to do. So when I went through kind of fixing my health, I took all of last year off. I didn't really work out maybe like 30 days out of the whole year, but I really wanted to focus on my business and building that. And so I shifted my priorities to be like, okay, well, I can't work out six days a week like I used to. I can't spend 98 minutes in the gym every day and then do 30 minutes of cardio. Like I just, my time constraints don't allow for that. So whenever you choose a priority, one of the best things you can ever do for yourself and your mental health is to choose what you are going to suck at because you will inevitably suck at something. Like we've said, there's only 24 hours in the day and your priorities will align and your energy will distribute to the things that you prioritize in your day. And with that, there are certain things that you might want to achieve and be pushing to achieve and feel guilty that you're not achieving. And it's because you have an unrealistic expectation of balance. And I fucking hate the word balance because it doesn't exist, right? You have priorities and you have things that you're going to distribute the most of your energy into, right? And then you're going to let other things shift, right? There is no balance. It's like, this is a priority. This is what I'm going to suck at for now. And also know that it's not concrete because at some point the tides will change and something else will be a priority. And that can always undulate. And so it's not about being perfectly on in this arena forever, because at some point you should experience mastery of that thing, right? For me, I'm grateful that I grew up an athlete. I spent a ton of time strength training. That's an investment. My lean body mass is still the same, even though I don't work out like I used to, 
it's like, okay, I put in the time and the sweat equity. And I know that when my, when my capacity opens up and the, and the pendulum shifts, I can get back into that. No problem. And so I carry no guilt or shame with that decision because I knew going into prioritizing my business that this would have to take a back seat and I'll be active and I'll continue to stay healthy and I'll move my body in ways I feel good, but I'm not getting into bodybuilding again. I'm not doing that to myself. It is not worth the cost of the thing that I want to prioritize the most. And so for people that genuinely just want to get healthy or healthier and they balance all these things, it's not about getting to the gym five days a week and doing 30 minutes of cardio every day and then eating off of a meal plan and making sure you prioritize your sleep and then doing all these extra little things. It's like, no, okay, well, let's look at your habits and behaviors. Let's look at what you're currently doing. And then how can we make one better decision today? Like what, maybe we drink one more bottle of water. That's fucking great. Cool. Let's, let's solidify that behavior. Okay, cool. Now, instead of driving through McDonald's five days a week, let's pull it back to three and actually pack a lunch on the other days. Right. And that's where you shift somebody's behavior to where they can start to see sustainable, tangible results and start building habits and behaviors because people didn't get obese by just eating a piece of pizza or an entire pizza. Right. It's the behaviors that they've embodied over a prolonged period of, of time that have gotten them to where they are. And so what I do, and, and this may help you as well, is when I bring clients on, we do a deep dive examination call. And this is where I want to understand their life so that I can put myself in their shoes because my frame of reference, I know the way that I'm wired and I know what I will make time to do. But if I don't understand them and where they're coming from and what their frame of reference is and what their day-to-day actually looks like, I cannot possibly construct a plan that will actually help them succeed. Because a short-term black and white, you got to do this for the next 12 weeks and X, Y, Z, like just check these boxes. Sure, some people can do that for a period of time. But the odds that they carry that over into the rest of their life are unlikely. Not unless we focus on shifting their habits, their habits, their behaviors, the narratives, the beliefs, their self-management, self-regulation, self-sabotage, stress management, the whole nine, right? But it's a slow titration of little things that they can win at, right? To build the momentum that they can prove to themselves that they can do this one thing, just this one fucking thing that's different and say no to this and yes to this and then start to replace those, those behaviors, to where it's a slow shift over time that doesn't cause them to overhaul their life to say, well, in order for me to achieve this goal, I've got to neglect all these things, which then stresses them out because they're losing things that they actually care about. And that will never lead to long-term change for that person, which is what we see a lot with yo-yo dieting and surface level solutions that never get people to change the way that they want to because it's a shift in identity. It's a shift in their behaviors, their attitudes and their mindset that carries over into their actions that they embody as they grow. Right, right. And those, those little wins, those, you know, I ate McDonald's, you know, two less days this week and packed my own lunch, those build confidence, those build self-efficacy to set them up for, for further success, right? Um, and just helping someone to understand that the barrier for entry is often doesn't have to be super crazy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what does it take to, to, to change your health? You know, it, it's, it maybe is like 30 minutes of extra exercise a week that could, that can make a difference. And, and don't underestimate that. And then you can add to that over time, right? Yeah. And I always tell people like, all we want to do right now is make sure that you are fundamentally sound. We want to build a solid foundation here because we can add volume, frequency, intensity, all of these different things on top of it. But if we are foundationally cracked, like good luck constructing anything meaningful on top of it. Right. And so this is where the lifestyle investigation pays off because it's like, okay, I can see all these habits and behaviors that are preventing them from achieving that. And I can take one by one, one week at a time, and say, I want you to focus your attention and intention into doing this this week. And that's it. 
right? But as they solidify that habit, especially if it's one thing that they're focused on for a whole week, I guarantee they're going to have the, the, not only the confidence because they've proven to themselves that they can do it. So like, okay, now I'm ready for the next thing. Right. And we've built that and we've got that win. Right. And then we can start to build on top of that with continued success. Whereas if you throw seven variables at somebody that doesn't know how to do any of them, it's like, good luck. Right. Yeah. That's a, well, I think that's a good thing to end on. And um, I just wanted to thank you for coming on today, Kate. Uh, I appreciate you having me, Dylan. This is a really, really great discussion. And I hope that people get as much as I did out of it. Um, I hope so, it was helpful. So um, for for those listening, where can people find you? I am primarily on Instagram at Kate and Michelle. I also do have a podcast called Elevate. It is on Spotify, YouTube, and Apple. Um, and then if you want to check out my website, that's also linked on my Instagram. And I do uh, three times a week uh, emails on kind of psychological frameworks, personal development, and then things that I'm learning about nutrition and training as well. So if you want all those cool things, uh, catch me on there and uh, link yourself in. Cool. All of, uh, Kate's links will be down in the description for those interested. Thanks for listening. Bye.